1: Welcome into to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey. Live every weekday at noon Eastern.
3: Back in the big chair after basking in South Florida's warm, gentle breezes. Welcome into the Daily Faceoff Live show. It's a Thursday, December 15th edition, and he is former NHL netminder, current Daily Faceoff analyst, Mike McKenna. Mike, how are you doing?
4: I'm fine. But I think all that we figured out for these past couple of days is that you do, in fact, reflect the sun, Frank. You don't soak it in. You look like you didn't get any while you were down there in Florida. So I hope you had some time to to have a couple of drinks and enjoy the people you were around because the vitamin D, man, I just I don't know, man. You OK? I,
3: I want to remind you this was a business trip, especially for those from the uh, head office monitoring the show. Uh, it certainly was, and lots uh, of content that was produced from there. Mike, is that a Peoria Rivermen hoodie there?
4: It is. I dug deep into the vintage archives. Oof. I got that out today. Look, I got a Florida Panthers jersey out today. It's appropriate because we. Might I love in that to see it. Let's throw
3: two minutes and thirty seconds up on the clock, and let's dive in with what our Matt Larkin on DailyFaceoff.com today called the hit of the year: Ryan Reeves. Crushing Detroit's Philip Roenick who's had an unbelievable year on the back end for Detroit. Mike, what are your thoughts on this hit?
4: It dude, this is just a freight train. And, and here's the thing: Roenick skates right into Reeves. If you back this up and watch Reeves well in advance, he actually circles outside the blue line. And all he's doing is flowing forward. He doesn't take any steps at all. Roanik skates right into him. And like I don't like to victim shame a lot here, but Hironik has to be aware of his surroundings. Like this wasn't a predatory hit to me in any way. You know, I'm I'm sure Reeves saw him coming and think, well, this is gonna be a big hit, nothing I can do about it. But this is like when you're riding your bike as a kid, Frank, and you you look away for a second, and the next thing you know, you plant yourself in an oak tree. You know, like I've seen worse hits in recent years where it felt predatory to me, where a player just clearly was taking advantage of someone. Hronick had a chance to get out of the way or, or do something different here. I, I don't like to see anybody ever get hurt, Frank, but I think this is one that was simply time and space. It was going to happen. How about you?
3: Yeah, the look on Ronick's face, you go through it and it's like, man, I might need new underwear after this because he kind of, it was deer in the headlights, kind of knew, oh boy, I'm in big trouble here and I'm going to take one. And here's the thing. By the letter of the law, this hit is absolutely clean. I've been advocating for physical hockey for forever. Um, and I think the old me would be celebrating and clapping for this hit. But I, I did see a tweet last night that actually totally summed up exactly what I you know, was kind of curious about. I've never seen it presented in 280 characters quite as simply as Chris Nowinski did. Who was a former college football player and wwe wrestler who became a doctor specifically to study concussions and the effects of traumatic brain injuries and you see a a hockey fan reply here and basically goes through all the same things that we go through with our checklist clean hit or not but it's his reply that stopped me dead in my tracks and made me think for a second here he's on to something the nfl used to allow that too just as hockey does now Then the players decided that getting a traumatic brain injury for looking the wrong way is a stupid punishment. NHL players need to know that the game doesn't have to be this dangerous, a slight rule tweak, and they go home healthy to their kids. Important to point out that Philip Roenick here in this case actually made a case to try and come back into the game, according to Red Wings coach Derek Lalonde. But for me, Mike, this encapsulated basically everything that I'm thinking now, and no one has said it as succinctly as Chris Nowinski, and it's actually led to a change in opinion from me.
4: Well, I, I I I differ on this one just because I think that this was a circumstantial type of hit compared to others. And you know, the ones I have a problem with Frankers when the player does not have the puck whatsoever. Like Horonic has the puck in this scenario. Um, so, like I say, it's not totally dependent on the hitter. Uh, what's Reid's going to do? He's supposed to get out of the way? You know, it's just. I understand this. I don't think hits to the head should be allowed at all. I usually agree with what Ken Dryden has to say, but this is one where I feel like there was no avoiding this. Reeves was coming, he was just, and Horonic ran into him. And
3: sometimes that's the case, but in this case, I just feel like the NHL could probably do a lot better in terms of protecting players and hits to the head clean textbook all those things but maybe we still don't need it in order for the game to be entertaining let's move on and talk about the ottawa senators because they've been on a pretty darn good run that not a lot of people have been talking about outside the ottawa market probably based on the fact that they're still uh, lagging a bit behind in the standings thanks to a really tough start to the season but don't look now the Sens are seven and three in their last ten and they rocked the Montreal Canadiens on Wednesday night. I know the score of 3-2 might not indicate it, but a really well-played game by the Sens. And so when you look at this team now moving forward, Mike, you take a look at the standings. They're seven points back of the wildcard spot. And I think we would all firmly agree when looking at the wildcard spot and the standings and how everything is shaped up to this point that a team like the Florida Panthers, four points back or three points back this morning out of it, are certainly very much within the realm of possibility to make the playoffs. Is there any chance that the Sens could get it together?
4: I don't think at this stage, this far into the season, seven points back, it looks very likely. They would have to go on a run similar to what the St. Louis Blues did um, back in 2018 when they won the Stanley Cup. That was in January. I apologize. Yeah, and it was a little bit later. So, I mean, can it happen? Yeah. But here's the thing about Ottawa that I do like. I mean, they've gotten quality goaltending from Talbot and Forsberg. I had them 15th on my goalie tandem rankings well talbot's had two incredible games since they probably rise in the rankings even the last week uh, but the power play has been so good frank i'm not sure if it can be sustainable they've got 12 goals in the last seven games um, and they've had an easy schedule though that's the part that really makes me nervous of them being able to gain ground because they played the ducks twice la twice san jose montreal in these last 10 games and they've made good on it you have to win those uh, how are they going to do against a little bit better competition uh, I'm not sure of that. But another thing that really st- stood out was a uh, conversation I had with Mark mathot today saying, yeah, man, they are really playing better defensively. They're coming back in the zone as a five-man unit. They're sorting out. The forwards have better back pressure. So I would say the details are better for Ottawa and they've been getting great contributions, especially from Batherson, Pinto to bring it together. I just don't know the sustainability when they start to play against some better competition. They will get some healthy bodies back though, Frank. So maybe we shouldn't write them off, but I think it'd be really tough for them to get back in the mix.
3: Yeah, I actually think it's the injuries for me that kind of, if they didn't have Tim the missing time, who's, I think, burgeoning mm-hmm. uh, and knocking on the door of being an elite player in this league, and Josh Norris out for uh, the balance of the season, like I would say this team would have a significantly better chance. Here's what I'll make you a bet on, Mike, though. I will say that... In March, the Ottawa Senators will be playing meaningful games. They might not make the playoffs, but I think they're going to close the gap even more than the seven points that exist right now, and I think they're going to be in the conversation when it comes to uh, determining the playoff spots in March. Would you buy that or sell it?
4: I'll sell it, but I still think this is a way better year for the Sens than last year, and it's a market improvement. It's a step in the right direction.
3: And, man, it's interesting because that's what we all thought would happen but did not happen, of course, through the first two months of the season. What about the Florida Panthers? We just touched on them, a team a bit above the Sens in the standings, but not by a wide margin. And I thought it was really curious to see, you know, we were all unsure what would happen with the Florida Panthers and the significant and seismic moves that they made in the offseason, the Calgary Flames. Uh, Both those teams have struggled. Um, and there has been a lot of change to that point. But I thought the comments from their GM this week and Bill Zito at the Board of Governors meetings were really interesting. And here's a little sample on the quote board. He says, our record doesn't reflect, in my mind, the achievements that we've made. Look, we're measured by one barometer, and that's the standings, right? But my job is to look at moving the franchise forward. Are we building a team that can ultimately challenge for a cup? I'm convinced we're doing that, and we're doing that in the fashion we set out to do it. Is that the comment you expected to hear from a manager of a team that's 14-12-4, Mike, coming off a 122-point season last year?
4: Not at all. I mean, my question to Bill Zito would be, what's your time frame for being a contender? Again, like you were last season. And here's the thing. I appreciate what he did. He goes out and gets Matthew Kachuk, probably at this stage, one of the top 5, 10 players in the league, I think, Frank. And it made his team younger. You're going to get that player for years to come now. But you lost a whole bunch of chemistry here, man. Like Huberto and Barkov together, power play especially. Where's that at? Uyghur and Ekblad, that's been a different dynamic for Uyghur this year. I just don't think that this club really expected to take a step back to take two steps forward, Frank. Did you think that was going to happen? Because I sure didn't. Um, I, Like I said, yeah, I did. appreciate what people did here, but I, I'm not sure if this is really going to set them up to be better down the road long term than it did last year. And if you're in that locker room, Frank, this isn't what you want to contend now. Like that's your goal. You're, you're looking around. If you're Aaron Eckblad, you're looking around going, man, we got the guys to contend now. Maybe we need to prove him wrong. So maybe there's a little bit of that to it as well.
3: Yeah, I actually do think the plan was maybe a step back this season to then take another step forward next year. And the tough part about navigating all of this is they've essentially put themselves into a a pretty defined box in terms of a number of years that they can really be competitive because they've traded away all of their first-round picks. Don't have one in 22, 23, 24, and 25. It's a lot of years, Tony, without first-round picks. Um, And when you look at it, to me... I think the Florida Panthers are going to be one of the most interesting teams this summer. They're going to have $6 million coming off the books in dead cap space from some buyouts. They're going to have another five and change coming off the books in a Hornquist uh, contract that's ending. And then so you take all that and you mash it together and you say, okay, that's about $12 million in space. And the salary cap could be increasing this summer by another three or four, all of a sudden you take a core with a Panthers team that's already pretty strong and in a pretty nice age window when you consider not just Kachuk, but also Sam Reinhardt, Sam Bennett, Carter Verhage, Luster Ryan, and all those guys sort of right in that window, along with Aaron Ekblad and Spencer Knight in net, and I see a very healthy five-year window coming for the Florida Panthers. So maybe not quite as rosy in the present sense, Mike, as Bill Zito made it appear. And they could still get into the playoffs this year. And, in fact, I would expect them to. But, man, it's uh, an interesting way to present it. And I think he's spot on in that sense moving forward.
4: Yep. And we'll see. Let's... I mean, we'll see what happens with Sergey Bobrovsky as well. So there's plenty of things about there.
3: Yeah, could you only imagine if that were the case, if they were able to get off that contract? What about yeah. Max Pacioretty and the Carolina Hurricanes? Uh, you see him skating, getting close to coming back to uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. And you look at the year that the Canes have had to this point, Mike. It's really interesting because they don't get a ton of attention. They don't get a ton of love. They don't have the superstar, the brand-name player that you'd be looking for on your team. Uh, maybe outside of a Brent Burns who's bringing you some more eyeballs. But I'm told Reddy the goal is to be back before the new year. So Reddy could be back in the Canes lineup sometime in the next couple weeks as he rehabs from his Achilles uh, injury and surgery. And... This is a guy, Mike, that if he can get even close to the level that he was at in his time with the Vegas Golden Knights, you mash all those numbers together and put them together over an 82-game stretch. It's an average of 37 goals per season. Is he going to be a big enough boost for a Canes team? that I, What I love about them is they may not have the points percentage of the Boston Bruins, but I can guarantee you that the Hurricanes aren't going to have the lows that some of these other teams have with an 8 or 10-game losing streak.
4: Well, the Hurricanes play to an ethos. And they play to the standard that Rod Brindamore sets for them as head coach. And I love that about the Hurricanes. They come in waves. They play hard. But they've been missing a top-end heavy sniper now for several years. I mean, you could even probably trace it back to Justin Williams retiring. And even then, he was at the the back end of his career. So, yeah, absolutely. Pacioretty should help this team. The power play has been terrible in Carolina. There's no way Pacioretty doesn't help that with the way he can shoot the puck. And when hopefully when Ajo gets healthy and he can dish it over to him and make that happen. Because Tara Vinen hasn't scored a goal this year. Probably the best player in the NHL without a goal, um, but I tell you what, though, man, I think this team still needs a little bit more juice, Frank. I think center is a weakness for this club. I think, man, if I'm GM Don Waddell, I'm I'm ringing up the, t- ringing up to see if I can get Bo Horvat or even a Logan Couture or any of these centermen out there who, you know, maybe there's a chance at grabbing because I'd love to see a little bit more dynamic uh, presence up front for this team because they are solid defensively, and that Piotr Kachekov kid is playing unbelievable in net for the Hurricanes. So. You get Pacioretty, maybe add another piece. I really like this team.
3: Yeah, Kuchetkov certainly seems like he's come in and had some ice in his veins for the Canes. And, you know, the interesting part for the Hurricanes is that they just don't have a ton of cap space. They were sort of right up against it when they brought in Pacioretty, and it was a really interesting move getting him from the Vegas Golden Knights for absolutely nothing, unfortunate timing, and that he then goes down with the Achilles injury after that. But, Getting him back sometime in late December would certainly be a big boost for this team. And look out, they were my preseason cup pick. Don't really have much reason to pivot from them, but uh, we'll answer that question on our Daily Faceoff roundtable over the weekend over on dailyfaceoff.com. Let's get to the number crunch this week with Cam Sharon. That's right. Pleased to be joined once again by Cam Sharon, former Toronto Maple Leafs front office analyst for this week's edition of The Number Crunch delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Cam, we were just talking about the Florida Panthers and one of the other interesting quotes in that story from Bill Zito on NHL.com was he said, we lead the league in bad luck. And I was just curious as you have crunched the numbers and a lot of different opinions as to what exactly determines good luck or bad luck, but which teams do you think have been the unluckiest so far?
2: I don't think that the, I wouldn't count the Panthers among those teams, especially, uh, you know, I'm happy that you were able to talk about the Ottawa senators earlier on in the segment, because to me that they've been, they've been a team that is kind of one that should probably be a lot closer to the playoffs than they are just based on their, uh, on their goals for and goals against with, uh, not counting empty nets and, um, and regulation only i actually have the senators as being plus three in goal differential in those situations and as a result should probably be a lot closer to 500 a lot closer to the playoff line and uh if we if we have the graphic i sent over um yeah so i I don't have florida very strong at all so far this season they've only outscored their opponents by four in those situations i don't you know, I haven't really watched the Panthers close enough to be able to know if they should. You know, if they've really earned that, it's really tough to tell based on available NHL data whether teams um, should be scoring more goals than they've than they've taken or or, or allowed fewer than they've uh, than they've actually got. But goals for and goals against at this point in the season is a good enough measure to determine team quality. And from this, uh, from this, the Panthers haven't really distinguish themselves in a way and neither you know the senators have, of course have a lot they lost a lot of early games uh this season and they probably put them took themselves out of the playoff race but they're actually eight and five in those clear margin games that i talked about uh determined by or uh where the, that they won by two or more goals not counting empty netters and the other team that I kind of have my eye on here is the buffalo sabers who should probably also be a lot closer to 500 they've been a fantastic team five on five and they've been getting fantastic results uh their, their problem, of course, obviously, is that they have a three and six record in regulation and one goal wins or in one goal games. Their special teams have been very bad and they've given up a lot of timely goals. Um, so, yeah, you know, for the Panthers, I, you know, I haven't seen them close enough. I couldn't, I couldn't give you a value judgment on, on, whether, uh, on whether, you know, on, on how correct Bill Zito is. But last year, I think that they led the league in fantastic luck. They had a lot of multi-goal comebacks, a lot of games that they probably didn't deserve to win that they did win. And uh, yeah, that so, just seems to have dried up for them this year.
3: Mike, so before you jump in, uh, if you're looking at Cam's chart here, essentially what you're looking for is the delta between red and blue and the teams that have a lot more red than blue have, been, have not been quite as lucky this season, according to Cam. So you're looking at the Sabres, you're looking at the Sens, perhaps a bit the New York Islanders closer to the top of the standings. But actually what stands out to me is that as good as the Boston Bruins have been, what essentially you're saying is they've earned almost every part of it.
2: Yeah, they're uh, they're fourteen and two in those clear margin games. Uh, they they haven't really run up their record in one goal games. So that's basically what I'm looking at at this point in the season. Until I can find a really good measure, you know, metric that that, that tells me whether teams do to break out offensively. I don't think that exists just yet. But you know, for all intents and purposes, the Bruins have been you know they've been playing great hockey and they've been winning games. It's probably you know the scoring's probably due to regress a little bit, particularly among the bottom six.
4: Cam, on Monday, I released my goalie tandem rankings update. First one of the season, I got the LA Kings dead last. So I'm wondering from your perspective, when you look at all the numbers, has it been goaltending that's the only thing causing problems out in LA? Is there more going on? Are they outplaying it? What's going on with the Kings?
2: Uh, the the answer to the question, is goaltending or defense the problem in LA, I think is Yes. Uh, they've given up a lot of goals, and I'm, I'm thinking uh, back on—I think the game was either was Monday or Tuesday, where they were tied zero-zero with Buffalo going into the third period, and they gave up five goals and lost that game five nothing. So one thing that I looked at was, well, where are they giving up all these goals? You know, there was five against Buffalo, there was five in regulation against Columbus, there was five against Toronto. That's all within the last week. So where are they giving up all these goals? What? Uh, defense pair and center combinations is really causing it. And when I, you know, what's good about LA is that they haven't really changed their defensive pairings at all this year, so it's made this an analysis like this really easy. So this is just the excess goals against based on the center and defensive pair combination. And one thing that I've really noticed is that Mikey Anderson and Drew Dowdy, who have been their top pair and generally handling the tough competition, they've actually been preventing a lot of goals. Uh, you know, regardless of what centermen they're with. Obviously, they're going to be great with either that one, you know, with one of those one-two punch of Ange Kopitar and Philip Deneau. Uh, they, they've uh, they've prevented a lot of goals relative to the league average. That way, that's what the baseline is, is uh, league average goals against per minute um, and how much you'd expect just based on the minutes played by by each uh, center and defense combination. Now, the real problem to me, the the striking thing, is the Sean Dersey and Matt Roy combination. Um, you can see that they've been... That they've been generally treading water defensively in those bottom six uh, minutes and those have uh, you know that's also when they've kind of turned it on offensively the problem is that when they play a little bit higher in the lineup when they expect to take those defensive minutes when they're playing with Ange kopitar or philip Deneau, they tend to get exposed a little bit more and they give up a lot of goals that way and you know th- this i think is a symptom of just how kind of fast and loose they play particularly Dersey. Who is, you know, I think the only defenseman in the league that could fire a 100-foot pass, tape to tape, one shift, and then, you know, fall on his rear end and give the puck over on his second shift, or, or make a bad read and take a take a uh, take a, a bad offensive opportunity. I have a couple of video, videos on Twitter about just kind of the duality of Sean Dursey and and the kind of player that he's been, you know, great offensively, but he's just been get, uh, forcing the Kings to give up a lot more defensively than expected. Of course, the goals, the goalies have also been a problem. They've let in some bad goals, but I also don't think that they've gotten a whole lot of help. The Kings give up a lot more scoring chances uh, relative to the, to the shots against that they face, at least in the games that I've seen. So I don't know where this turns around for them, uh, uh Unfortunately for them, it's just not been uh, its not, not been good to watch if you're a Kingsman. It's been really fun to watch if you're a neutral. They've played in some great high-scoring games this year where anything can happen.
3: Cam, one of the sidebar conversations at the NHL's Board of Governors meetings earlier this week was the idea of an expanded playoff format. We're running short on time, so in 30 seconds or less, give us your thoughts on are you in favor or not?
2: I am. What I want is an NBA-style playoff. Uh, play-in. Uh, this doesn't take away from the first round. You still get all four, all eight series going at the same time. The thing is, is that a play-in series where you create a choke point between the second and third place team, sixth and seventh place team, and 10th and 11th means that the regular season will be so much more entertaining in that stretch run where really, uh, it really dries up, it really gets boring, really gets tedious, and you create a huge opportunity for uh, a huge advantage for the teams that finish first. You don't often see teams finish first or second in their conference win the Stanley Cup. Mostly it's those four or five seeds, which means that there's not enough of advantage given to the top teams in our current playoff format.
3: I really like that answer, and I would also say that there probably needs to be a threshold, that you have to be within a certain number of points in order for the play-in to be activated to the point where it makes and incentivizes teams to close that gap. Because if you're giving it out to an 11th-place team that's 30 points back, I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. I think it's eminently doable. I think it's a way to add drama and excitement. And I think to your point, Cam, it also gets us away from the no man's land that exists in the current NHL right now, where you're too far away from the draft lottery, too far away from the playoffs, and you've got absolutely nothing to root for and cheer for for your team and your fan base thanks a lot to cam sharon for joining us for the number crunch this week you see the promo code there at the bottom of your screen game day 25 gets you 25 percent off and free delivery on your first order of 15 dollars or more on the doordash app all your favorites and more delivered right to your door by doordash <laughs> All right, Mike, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hashtag AskDFO. Hit us up on Twitter. We'll be happy to take your questions. Mike, got to roll this clip first. It's one of the best interviews we've seen in a while from Seth Jarvis.
4: I take a lot of naps. I love naps. I'm a big advocate for naps. So anytime I have time to just shut my eyes at like 2 p.m., sometimes I take them later, like 7 p.m. It's, uh, guys don't like it because they think it messes up my sleep schedule, but I love naps, so I just take as many as I can.
3: Mike, the question is very simple. I don't know that anyone's answering no. Do you like naps?
4: Yeah, I'm an advocate for naps. Yeah, I used to take one before every game. Uh, you know, I here you go. This is what I would look like on a game day, Frank. This is my old dog, uh, Bauer, who passed away a little bit over a year ago, man. that was That was me every game day. So absolutely, I'm in the same boat.
3: For me, the best part about covering hockey and traveling, I spent so many years on the road with the Flyers was Naps became such a huge part of my life. Game days, practice days, whatever it was. This was like pre kind of social media and doing 19 million radio hits and TV things a day that it was like, I'd go to the rink, I'd come home, I'd take a nap, I'd eat dinner, I'd write my story, do my thing. It was a different kind of life then. And I really didn't stop taking naps until well after I had my first kid. So take a nap, you know, right alongside the baby is perfect. It was a built-in way of life. And I Actually, really miss taking naps. Uh, let's get to Tyler Remchuk in our daily face-off points bet daily bet segment. Tyler, when's the last time you took a nap?
0: Man, our technical producer Alex Alard and I were talking about that before me, and him. we're both like, we'd love to find out if we're nap people, but we just never have the time to actually close our eyes during the day. Uh, anyways, Frank, uh, we're gonna get into today's points bet Canada daily bets. I got a split yesterday, thanks to Matt Zuccarello hitting his shop prop tonight. I like targeting this top matchup. Blue Jackets against the Lightning. For the Lightning, the Overs hit in 6 of 10. Columbus hasn't been that good, but if Elvis Merzlikens starts, I really like this play. He's allowed 19 goals against in his last five starts. Brian Elliott's going for the Bolts, 16 goals against in his last five. I like over 6.5. And And I got some shot props for you as well in that Dallas-Washington game. Rupe hints to go over 2.5 shots is plus 110. That is way too good considering he's hit it in four of his last five and also i'm targeting zach hyman in the oilers blues game mcdavid and dry subtle get a ton of love from the sportsbooks as well hyman kind of gets overlooked he has hit his shot prop in five in a row and eight of his last 10 and you're getting it at plus 115 tremendous value and i'm also throwing a little on him to pick up an assist tonight because he's done that in four of his last five and seven of his last 10, and it's also paying minus 110. He's on that Oilers' top power play unit, and the Blues, 31st in PK percentage. So I think the Oilers should be able to generate some offense. Frank, that's all I got for tonight.
3: Love to see it from Tyler Ramchuk, the shot prop king. Let's get to Mike McKenna and garbage time. Mike, what's caught your eye? What's caught your attention from around the NHL?
4: I just think coaches and hats is hilarious. Okay, I'm watching a postgame presser from Daryl Sutter the other night. I'm just thinking... Why bother, man? Why why are you wearing the hat like this? <laughs> is it for, are you trying to get a laugh? Are you, are you actually wearing, that's how you wear a hat? I mean, I guess it's not a cowboy hat, but I don't know. It just made me go down the rabbit hole, Frank, of thinking about coaches that have excelled in the hat wearing department. And I think that there's a clear champion and it's this fellow right here, Ken Hitchcock. Will you look at that fedora from the winter classic, the winter hat, the shades, the, just, this is a whole vibe, Frank. And I, I'm here for it. And I don't know if Hitch and, and Sutter like to talk to each other, but you know maybe Hitch can, can toss him a couple of pointers here and there because look at that style, Frank. We could all aspire to look like Ken Hitchcock.
3: I would say those are two rather large melons, so I don't know mm-hmm. if those hats have appropriately fit either Daryl Sutter or Ken Hitchcock. I will say it also depends on which team and organization you're with because there are a lot of them who mandate that players wear the team franchise hat on – when they're doing media interviews, you must wear a hat with our logo on it before you go on camera. They do that all the time. Uh, One interesting interest in uh, the business world as well, always trying to get their logo and representation out there. don't think it's the case with Daryl Sutter necessarily, but love to see it. That'll do it for today's edition of Daily Faceoff Live. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis. We'll be back with you 12 noon Eastern for a Friday edition just over 10 days away from Christmas. Thanks a lot. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day and enjoy the games.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Daily Face Off Live. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion
3: without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.